So next Sunday, um, during the football game, just to let you know, the Cardinals have a bye week. So we planned that well. There's no football game to watch, only a football game to play in. Yes. All right, Galatians chapter 5. Verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus once told a, a story, a parable, about a man who had two sons. It's probably one of the most popular teachings. His older son was a rule follower. Uh, his older son was responsible. His older son understood uh, what was expected of him. The younger son was much different. The younger son uh, felt constrained by the rules, felt rebellious, uh, wanted his freedom. And so the younger son decided that he wanted to leave, and he knew that he was set to inherit a great fortune from his father. So he went to his dad, and he said, Father, I would like to have my own freedom. I would like to leave, and I would like to have my inheritance now so I can go and live the life that I want to live. And an interesting thing happened. The father granted him his wish. The father said, sure, I'll, have it. I'll let you have it. And it's amazing that the father did, because for the son to do this, the, the son's basically saying, I care more about the money than our relationship. The son's basically saying, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I want to go live my own life. The father could have said, this is a foolish decision. The father could have said, no, you're not getting it until I'm gone. But the father grants the son freedom. The son takes the, the inheritance and goes and, and just parties it up, goes and, and spends it on a lavish lifestyle, says that he moves to another country, um, starts spending like crazy, indulging in everything that you can indulge in, pursuing the freedom that he wanted. Freedom is, he would define it as getting what I want, when I want it, whenever I want it, with whomever I want it, however I want, I'm going to have it. That's freedom. Then it says that there's a famine that hits the land that he's living in. And the money that he had to have his freedom all of a sudden starts to dry up. He realizes that uh, he's fallen on hard times. All of his friends that he'd been partying with leave him. Becomes uh, in a very bad situation, out of money, no influence, no people around him. Ends up taking a job at a farm, taking a job basically cleaning up after pigs, uh, Jesus says that he was so hungry that he would long to eat even the food that the pigs were eating. And he gets to this moment where he realizes that all of these things that he was pursuing has led him to this position where he now has nothing. And he thought back to his house and his father, and he thought about his father's servants. Even they had a better life than what he now had. He comes to his senses and realizes, I should go home having no idea what it's going to be like when he gets home, how his father's going to react. His hope is just to go back and just be a servant at his dad's house. And as Jesus tells the story, he says, as he's approaching the house, the father sees him. The father's been waiting for him to return, has compassion in his heart, races out to embrace the son and welcome back into the home. Then decides to throw a party for the son because he said, my son was once lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but he's alive again. And there's this, not this speech of I told you so, 
but there's this embrace from the father welcoming the son back home. It's a great story. The older brother, though, sees it and is super upset about it. He thinks, I've done everything right. I didn't spend my inheritance. I did all the things I should do to get my father's favor, and yet here he's never thrown a party like this for me. And we find that the older son is bitter. I think it's an interesting story, the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells. It's a story that we know very well. If you grew up in church, one of the most popular stories that Jesus tells. And there's a lot to be said about the story about the father's forgiveness, about the compassionate heart of our father. But there's also a different angle that you could look at when you think about the scenarios with the two, the two brothers, the two sons. One of them, the older brother, thinks that by right behaviors and following the rules, he will keep his father happy. And when his father doesn't respond the way that he wants, we find that he's bitter. The younger brother wants his own freedom. Freedom to do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants, with whoever he wants. And we find that there's this life that leads to his destruction. He wants freedom as the world defines freedom. And it just leads him down this path where he hits rock bottom. Both of them relate to the Father in different ways. Both of them desire a life that's a good life, trying to get there in different ways. When Paul is writing in Galatians, he's writing about this idea of our relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship with Jesus is freedom. And I think it's interesting that we often fall into kind of two categories when it comes to our relationship with God. And we can relate to the older brother and the younger brother. And as Paul's writing about our relationship with God in Galatians, he talks about this idea of freedom. What does life with Christ look like? What does living in the grace of Christ look like? What does freedom look like? And as Paul's writing to the Galatians, he kind of talks about both these scenarios, the younger brother, the older brother. And he talks about there's two types of freedom That's false freedom that we pursue in this world. Two types of freedom that are kind of a false freedom. And the first type, I would say, is kind of the younger brother freedom. This is kind of a false freedom uh, that we desire in life. Uh, Marcy is out of town, as I mentioned. She's in Michigan for five days. And here's what happens when Marcy leaves town. I get to eat whatever I want to eat. And so typically, when Marcy's out of town, I eat breakfast burritos for every meal. And I get Chick-fil-A for the children at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. Um, It's easy. It's fun. They have a playground. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do today. It's Sunday. Uh, But I will have a breakfast burrito. And I love breakfast burritos. And when Marcy's not around, that's all I eat. Um, by the time Marcy usually comes back to town, I feel like I'm about to have a heart attack. I feel terrible. Um, it, there's a reason why you shouldn't eat breakfast burritos for every meal. Uh, because Marcy is in my life, I will not have a heart attack by the time I'm 40. Um, she regulates what I eat. Uh, having the freedom to eat whatever you want, whenever you want, is not a good thing. We might enjoy that freedom, but there's something about it that can become dangerous. N.T. Wright says this about freedom. It says, all freedoms generate new forms of slavery. If you use your freedom to dive headlong into the destructive life of anger and envy and malice and sexual immorality, those things will enslave you. They will create habits of mind and imagination far more powerful than habits of the body. The freedoms 
that we desire oftentimes can enslave us. We become slaves to our desire. This younger brother, the, the freedom that he desired, thinking it was freedom, became something that really entrapped him and led to his destruction, hitting rock bottom, pursuing whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted, with whomever he wanted. I would say that this freedom is an unrighteous freedom. And this is a freedom that we want the ability to just make our decisions and, and, and feed our appetites and do whatever we want. That's freedom, right? Titus 3.2 says this, At one time you were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. When Titus is talking about the things uh, that, we, that we are enslaved to, passions and pleasures keeping our appetite in check, having the freedom to have whatever we want, whenever we want, want it. One of the things I've been learning in life is just because you can have something doesn't mean that you should. How quickly we become slaves to our own desires when our desires have us. There's an unrighteous freedom. And this is hard because we live in a culture that says just kind of pursue your heart, just do whatever you want, just feed your appetite. And when we think about how like, God sets up these kind of rules and regulations, why would he do that? Why would he not want us to have fun and just feed our appetite all the time, chasing after pleasure and passion? Is it that God wants his people to be party poopers? Does he think about like, the church and think, I just want the church to suck the fun out of everything. I want the boring people that never want to you know, feed their appetites. Like, why is God doing this? Uh, last week, our staff uh, helped out our mops group. So Tyler and Tim and myself went and served in the kids' ministry for three hours on Wednesday. And uh, it, it was crazy, but we, everyone survived. And we ate breakfast burritos, actually, so it was good. Tim went and got breakfast burritos. Um, but I, I thought about this. I, I had heard about this story one time. We were out on the playground. The kids were just running around like crazy on the playground. And I remember there was a study that was done on putting a fence into a playground. It says, a simple study was conducted to discover the effects of a fence around a playground and the consequent impact it had on preschool children. Teachers were to take their children to a local playground in which there was no fence during normal recess hours. The kids were to play as normal. The same group was taken to a comparable playground in which there was a defined border designated by a fence. So in this experiment, one playground had no fence, no boundaries. One had boundaries, had a fence up. In the first scenario, without the fence, the children remained huddled around their teacher, fearful, or leaving out, uh, fearful of leaving out of her sight. The later scenario exhibited drastically different results with children feeling free to explore within given boundaries. The overwhelming conclusion was that with a given limitation, children felt safer to explore a playground. Without a fence, the children were not able to see a given boundary or limit, and thus were more reluctant to leave the caregiver. With the boundary, in the case of the fence, the children felt at ease to explore the space. They were able to separate from the caregiver and continue to develop in their sense of self while still recognizing that they were in a safe environment within the limits of the fence. When we think about why God says there's certain rules that I want you to follow, there's certain regulations that we have in our life. He sets up these boundaries, and within those boundaries, 
we can flourish. Within those boundaries, we find life to the full. The boundaries are good things. There was this cartoon that uh, I had seen. It wasn't the far side, but it was something like that. And um, I said it to Tim, and I wanted to share it. It's kind of cheesy, but it was this cliff, and there was this man getting ready to jump over the cliff. And before the cliff, there was this fence, and it said God's guardrails. And the guy was like, that looks boring, and he's getting ready to jump over the fence, all the while not realizing that the fence is protecting him, giving him life, keeping him safe. When we think about our freedom to just feed our appetites, we realize that there's regulations that sometimes our freedoms can enslave us to our desires. But Christ has come to set us free. Boundaries don't limit our freedom, they actually expanded it. Eugene Peterson says this in Galatians chapter 5, talking about our freedom. He says, It is absolutely clear that God has called you to live a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want, uh, whatever you want to do, and destroy your freedom. But rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? Where will your precious freedom be then? Use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. To live a life of true freedom. Using our freedom to do things for God. To do things for others not just to indulge in our appetite. There's an unrighteous freedom that Paul's speaking into here, where he says sometimes that freedom where we just chase after things in an unrighteous way, we become enslaved to it. Then the second type of false freedom is, I think, what the older brother has in the story of the prodigal son. It's a false freedom because it's a, a self-righteous freedom. The first one's an unrighteous freedom. The second one's a, a self-righteous freedom. The story of the prodigal son, this older son did everything right. Did everything right, followed all the rules, never tried to rebel. And yet at the same time, he thought the things that he was doing was going to actually make his father love him more. So they both have this skewed view of the father. And what the father says to this older son when he's bitter, when he's upset that the young son's getting the party, the father says, don't you realize that everything that I have and everything that I own is already yours? This is what grace is all about. This is a gift. You're not trying to earn my favor. You're not trying to, to do certain things so that I love you more. The Father says, I love you both because you're my children. And this older brother is caught up in this self-righteous freedom, trying to do things to make himself right with God, do things to make himself better in his father's eyes. When Paul's writing to Galatians, he's writing about this argument of uh, like he came to say, this is the gospel. Christ has come to make us free. We're called to live this free life. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift from our loving Father. This group came in behind Paul's teachings and saying, you have to do X, Y, and Z to make God happy. Last week we talked about the idea of like circumcision. You got to do circumcision. You got to have a certain diet. You got to have X, Y, and Z, and then God will be happy. That's what makes you righteous. And what Paul's saying is, no, 
That's not, this is all about grace. This is all about a gift from God. And when you live in that, when your life, when your motivation isn't trying to appease God, but you're working from the grace of God, you will experience life to the full. Paul says this in Galatians 5, 4, 4 through 6, paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. It says, I suspect that you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard for religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. And Paul's writing to this group who've, out of self-righteousness, are trying to appease their father, trying to appease God. And he says, what we're waiting for is a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. It's possible to miss both ways, the younger son, the older son. What matters is something far interior, something inside. Faith expressed itself in love. I think this is hard for me growing up in the church, growing up as a, uh, uh, as a Christian um, with, with a lot of rules and legalism. That I can make, you know, I, I'm more righteous than other people because of my actions. Therefore, God should like me more. And then if I see something happen to someone else and they a blessing or a gift that I don't get, there's an entitlement, there's a bitterness that comes. And I forget all of this is grace. Life is a gift. I read both of these passages from Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's a paraphrase of scripture. And I did that because I think the words are beautiful that Eugene Peterson writes. Eugene Peterson was a pastor uh, on the East Coast uh, for most of his life. Then he became an author later in life, wrote a number of great books. He wrote a book called The Pastor, which is one of my favorite books. He passed away a couple years ago. Um, when he passed away, I've read so much of Eugene Peterson that I felt like I had lost a friend. I remember when, when he passed away, I was on an airplane, and I was coming back from a conference. And he had just died, and I was reading through this book, and I started to realize that these words that were so life-giving to me had been so meaningful, the person that is writing them is gone. And I just had this like moment of grief, and, like teared up and like started crying on the plane. I'm like, what in the world? I don't even know this guy. And I'm crying because he died, and, and I, I miss him. I, he's like a grandfather figure in my life. Like there's this pastor from Phoenix. He's one of the pastors in one of the largest churches in Phoenix. He was sitting right across the aisle from me. And he goes, Jared? And I remember like crying and being like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> and he goes, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. And we just started talking and he's we're like, we're talking about, you know, I, you know, Eugene Peterson died and I just realized how much he meant to me. And he goes, oh, you're having a Eugene Peterson moment. I'm like, is that like being Oprah? Like what? No. <laughs> um, but Eugene Peterson uh, wrote a paraphrase of the entire Bible and he didn't mean to. It didn't start out like that. When Eugene Peterson started writing his paraphrase of scripture, he was pastoring this church in Baltimore the Presbyterian church, and he was teaching his people, the followers of Jesus that were gathered there, about freedom and about grace. And he wanted to start with Galatians, the book that we've been going through this month, because it's all about freedom in Christ, this freedom, this free life that we live in our relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that Peterson had his church do was he had them all write their own version of Galatians. So we're going to take about the next two hours and do that now. We're going to write all Galatians. <laughs> 
they, they went through this Bible study, and they had them all write down, what is, what is your words? What is Galatians? And then he wrote his words, his interpretation, his paraphrase of what Paul was talking to, to the church about, freedom in Christ. And the words Eugene Peterson wrote were so beautifully written, they were so impactful for his congregation, that they made sure a publisher saw it. And this publisher saw it and said, this is beautiful. Can you do this with all of Scripture? And Peterson said, that's going to take a long time. And it took over 10 years to do. But as he was writing, I, I love these words where he's talking about freedom. Freedom, not, not a false freedom that the world offers. Not a self-righteous freedom that so often the religious circle offers. But freedom, the life that we have in Christ. And here's Eugene Peterson's words in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. He says, paraphrasing Paul, my, my counsel is this, live freely, animated and motivated by this God's spirit. Then you, will feed the, you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. There are two ways uh, these two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfying wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parody of, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you. You know, if you use your freedom in this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our, our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good. It's crucified. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way fruit appears in an orchard. What he's talking about, what he's paraphrasing there is the fruit of the Spirit, this relationship that we long with with our Creator. When we live in the grace of Christ, we experience this Holy Spirit that gives us gifts that are intangible gifts in this world, like fruit appearing on, an orchard, on, on a tree in an orchard. What beautiful language this is. When it comes to our freedom, the things that we pursue, the desires, 
the one thing that meets our desires in this world is our relationship with our Father, our Creator. And today as we consider the grace that he offers us and all of the different ways that we uh, can, can pursue freedom as the world defines it or freedom as religious circles could define it, we're reminded of this relationship with God, our good Father, who loves us because of who we are, his children. Tim's going to come back up and we're going to spend some time reflecting and praying and, and working through these words. But maybe today you've, you're living this life where you just are pursuing your own personal freedom and you, you just want to be able to, to do what you want to do. And yet you're realizing that that path is a path that can lead to destruction. And without self-control, it's a, it's a slope that you just are sliding down and you feel like life is spinning out of control. Maybe today you just need to come and just surrender those desires to God. Just say, Lord, I want to desire you first and foremost. Or maybe you're on the other side of it and you feel like you've been doing everything you're supposed to be doing and, and you're working towards your salvation of trying to make God happy or make God... Uh, and you're, 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 instead of just sitting in the grace of God, you find that you have bitterness in your heart towards others. I'm not sure what story you find yourself in. Maybe it's both at different times. But today, the freedom that Christ offers is freedom, relationship with him, fruit of the spirit that comes into our lives. We're going to take some time to take communion today. We have it set up on both sides of the room. A communion is a free gift that God looked at our broken world and wanted to do something about it. God looked at all the different ways that we mess things up and all the different ways that we are broken and said, I'm going to make you whole. Jesus came into the world and went to the cross and broke his body open and poured his blood out. When we take communion, we're reminded of this gift, that salvation God made away. We surrender to him. We take all of the different things that we've added to the gospel and just say, Lord, we want to experience your peace today. We invite you to the table. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the freedom that you offer that you are making all things new, that you are allowing us to flourish, that you desire life that is eternal for your children. Lord, today as we hear about grace, we're reminded that it's a free gift. Lord, I pray that you would stir the hearts in here that are far from you, reminding us that relationship with you brings about true life. And Lord, that you would soften our hardened hearts when we find ourselves like the older brother. That we would rest in your peace today, Lord, that we would live in your grace. And from that, Lord, that you would produce fruit in our lives. We're grateful for your word, for how you teach us and mold us to be a certain kind of people. 
We're grateful for your love, and we ask these things in your name.